Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. my sweltering garage in Los Angeles, California. Those of you who don't know me, but you're like, hey, who's this lady? Who's this lady with the squeaky voice? Who's this child, but who claims she's a woman who sounds like a little boy? I don't know what's happening. My name is Arden Marine. I'm an actress and a comedian and a podcaster. You might know me from Chelsea Lately or The Insatiable Insatiable, Insatiable, <laughs> the Netflix show Insatiable. I was also on Shameless and Mad TV. And I also host a podcast, a very hard hitting political podcast called Will You Accept This Rose on iHeartRadio about the Bachelor franchise. But I digress. With me today is a woman that I met on the television program Suburgatory. That's and right. She was my director and she was real classy and British and fun and we just liked each other and we developed a show together but let me just introduce her before we get going this woman has been nominated for two baftas 
and a Golden Globe, which is not anything I've ever said in an intro about anybody that I've ever talked to in my entire life. She is a director. She is a producer. She gets it done. She is also a mother. She gets all of this done. She is a working mom killing it. She has directed a lot of things. I mean, it's too numerous to say, but here's a few of the things that you've probably watched that she has directed. Good Place. I'm dying up here. Orange is the New Black, Nurse Jackie, Parks and Rec. I mean, the list goes on and on. She developed a show that was on the air that she produced last year with Amy Poehler. And ladies and gentlemen, my friend and my (laughs) co-host, Julie Ann Robinson. Thank you. I did not know you were going to say all that stuff. That's very, very nice. And all true. And you know what? I could have gone on and on. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm not sure how many people would have been interested. The one that people mainly ask about, actually, weirdly, is Grey's Anatomy, even though that was like the first show that I directed in the U.S. Yes. And it was a long, long time ago. I directed from season, I I finished on season four, but I guess they started re-showing it. And so all my, my kid is 15, all his friends, they're just like, oh my God, tell me about Grey's Anatomy. Wow. I did one episode of Grey's Anatomy and literally I've been doing this a long time and Mm -hmm. it was almost, it was somehow doing Grey's Anatomy. People thought, you're going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? For, it was yeah. finally when they were not going to say, when are you going to get your accounting degree? You know what I mean? It was like the people who watch that show love it. That's love so it. true. And I it was so true even back then. People, and it's like the consistency, like people have not missed an episode. Mm-hmm. I don't do well with blood and stuff. I don't do well with needles. And so I had never seen it. And when I went on, I was shocked at how handsome, like I didn't realize, <laughs> I, of course I was the fool. I had to get like a, I had like, I had to have like a child's pinwheel put in my neck and I had like an allergic reaction to shrimp at a wedding at like the season finale. And uh-huh. of course I was like jammed into Spanx. And so the entire hot male cast of Grey's Anatomy had to like flip me over and try and jam like an enema thing, like up oh my, my. And there was like all these hot actors and yeah. I, I'm the fool on the ground. Anyway. I digress. There's a gal coming up. Well, you guys actually know because you clicked on this. We're going to be talking to Jen Kirkman and you are on her Wikipedia page. I saw that. It said that she developed a pilot. The uh, what is it? The The Mighty Quinn. The The Mighty Mighty Quinn. I remember that because we were working at Chelsea. She and I were at Chelsea lately together. And I remember she sold that. And Mm -hmm. I just thought I always just found her to be like she she feels really like Nora Ephron, like so chic, you know, she's like funny and chic and talented. And I'll be honest with you, I get a little nervous around her. Like, I think she's so talented that like, I get a little intimidated. So I hope I can keep my cool during the podcast. Yeah. I'm not so intimidated, but I'm very, really, really curious. I'm really curious because there was a lot of questions that I had when I was working with her that I were never answered. So let's see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's give her a big round of applause. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. She's a lady. Shout out to Mark Rivers, our amazing uh, theme song writer. I just could not be more into that theme song. With us right now is a woman that I believe Julianne and I are really excited to have. With us today is a woman who developed a pilot with Miss Julianne. She is a very successful stand-up comedian. She has two Netflix specials that are absolutely fantastic. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living. She is the author of two books, I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself, and I Can Barely Take Care of Myself, Tales from a Happy Life Without Kids. She was also a regular roundtable member on Chelsea Lately, which is where we met. She was a writer on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She is an actress, and we just think she's such a fucking great human, comedian, writer, lady, Ladies and gentlemen, Jen Kirkman. Wow. That's a great intro. Thank you. Dude, I've had had so many bad intros that it's like you got to give somebody a proper intro. It's tough enough in this town without at least hearing your credits. I mean, I'll just say it's like part of being on the road is those morning radio interviews and no one does research or you do small town newspaper interview and they're on Wikipedia while they're talking to you and they always manage to find the least thing you've done like so you did an open mic in 1989 and I'm like sure but 
Is they, do they often confuse you with other people? Because I'll get things that they'll, they'll like look on Wikipedia and then they'll think that you're somebody else. And then they will kind of like try to set you up for something that you didn't quite do. And then you could just sort of go with it. Like, yeah, that. No, I've never had that. Thank God. But it's I not. It does happen. It's not great. You guys work together. You and Julianne. You I know. Yeah. Oh, my God, Jen. That was such a great, such a great pilot. I'm still so mad that you know, they didn't pick it up. And I know what was, was the pilot the, about? It was called The Mighty Quinn. And it was really true. It was a, I developed it in my brain after I had a really devastating breakup a few years ago. And I took a year off of all dating and men and anything into two years and just to find myself, you know, and so the pilot version is the woman is about to turn 40, decides to be single. Everyone thinks it's an overreaction, you know, that kind of thing. And it was cute. It was, it was very cute. And it came very close. You're so very close. You're such yeah. a good writer, Jen. I just yes. have to say, like, I've just rewatched your specials. And for those of you who have not seen her Netflix specials, you, you should pause right now and run and watch them. You have such a distinct voice. Like, yeah, you, you, there is nobody else like you on stage. When did you start to feel like you found your stride? And like, when you're like, oh, this is who I am up here. Like, when did it click in for you? Was there a moment? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I would say it didn't really click until probably five years ago, you know, and I wouldn't even, I don't like going back to my old specials because sometimes I don't even hold the same opinions anymore. You know, that changes, or I find that audiences are changing. And when people watch them now, they don't get the nuance of some things I'm saying, and they think it's really serious when it's Mm -hmm. not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of that can be fixed with delivery and stuff. And so my style is always evolving. But when I always knew, hey, I'm this narrative off the top of my head, seeming blah, comedian. I think I started day one that way. And then I let them, whoever them is, tell me that's not how you should do it. That's not what people are doing. I came up in the very like short jokes, absurdist kind of those are so hard. I've always envied the short jokes comedian and I never was a short joke comedian. No, me neither. And I tried it and I went against my own brain for about five years. And then I just became not funny because I wasn't doing what was organic. And so I had, I remember this in my early years in Los Angeles and I did start in New York, but you know, you'd go to a club and do like a showcase set, maybe to try to get a spot on some kind of festival or a late night. And I would have the the gen type five, but that was nothing what my standup was like. And I knew something was wrong. Like, well, don't have two different selves because one of them isn't going to be true. And I, I didn't become comfortable in knowing what I was until I started doing the monologues for the Upright Citizens Brigade improv show, ASCAT. Those are the best. For those of you who are not familiar, there's two shows. One of them is ASCAT UCB. And then there's one called the Armando that was at IO for many years. But basically they'll invite a person and they'll get a suggestion from the audience and they can't prepare anything. And they say, actually the people who do prepare like standups that try and jam the material, it's never that good. Mm-hmm. And what's fun about it is, is you can't prepare. So they'll throw out like pirate or whatever. And then you have to just tell a story spur of the moment. And then they improvise based off of your story. So you started doing the monologue. Yeah. So, and I realized, oh, I am funny when I tell my stories and my stories have jokes, but I think when women tell stories, people see them as stories. And when men tell stories, they're seen as a genius or someone with jokes. And I 
my stories have jokes in them. I was always, I'm like, jokes aren't literally, but um, you know, Mm -hmm. so anyway, but I would think I became comfortable in who I was. I mean, honestly, maybe not until four or five years ago Yeah, where I went, this is my style. It works, but it's always evolving. Like I said, and I think for me, if any young people ask me for advice, if they're the same kind of comic, it's like, you're finding out who you are as you go. So it's probably only going to get better as you get older. It might take a while, is all I'm saying. There's something, you know, that I'd like to just ask both of you, just from somebody who's outside looking in. And the, uh, and I have got similar experiences, but not the same. But you said you, you, you do the narrative sound, like the improv sounding type of stand-up. And I know that both of you, I know what a workaholic you are, Jen, because I, I remember the hours and hours and hours of work that we did on mm-hmm. Mighty Quinn and how much work goes into that kind of improv sounding throwaway. Is there a contradiction there, you know, that you don't let the people see the work? Do you know what I mean? I don't want them to see the work in the bad way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a, I don't know. A, seam, a dress that's not sewn correctly and it looks like someone really struggled and there's blood stains on it. Like you don't want them to see the work because you want them to be relaxed and comfortable and like you're just doing this for them. And so I'm not trying to hide the work in any kind of, oh, what me work hard, not that, but mm-hmm. you just want them to be comfortable and feel like it's the first time you're saying it. I mean, I don't actually, I, I, I want them to know this is planned I came here to say this. I'm not actually in the moment, but I want it to feel like I'm in the moment telling them. Yeah. So, and I do kind of improvise when I talk and I, I never say anything exactly the same way twice. So I'm not trying to hide anything, but I definitely want them to feel like I'm not just on autopilot. It would feel like to me unsafe to let them see the man behind the curtain in a way, but I, yeah. I, I agree with, I feel like when I started headlining, you know, and particularly like I still do clubs. Like I wish I could just do theaters. Thank you. I do. I do clubs. I'm back just to clubs. I I don't have a big enough audience for theaters. See, I think I I would imagine every lady comic stream is to probably just do theaters. (laughs) Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. For me, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just speaking for myself. What I realized when I was touring and started headlining and that it was a lot of the audience came because of Chelsea lately. So you have the people who wanted the tickets were women or gay men, and which was like the best crowd. But that meant a lot of places that at least half of your audience were the straight guys that were the dates that bought the tickets and that they still had to pay attention and listen to you for like 45 or 50 minutes. And a lot of them you know, good guys, but had never listened to a woman talk for that long. So I think for me, like, there's a little bit of like, sort of tricking them to listen, and also putting in the hours, so that I know that I am, I've done the work, and I'm rock solid, if there's some drunk person coming at me, and that I can improvise, because there's, there's enough of that 10,000 hours in there, like, just for my own insecurity of not getting because you don't know what you're going to get in every audience or, you know, you don't, everyone is sort of like a taming a lion because there's a lot of alcohol. It's late at night. You don't know what you're up against. Like a Friday late show is, is a journey. How did you stop being afraid? Like I find any kind of public speaking terrifying. How do you stop being afraid in that context of 
those Friday night, late night, or I mean, we've talked about it. Uh, yeah, I'm really confident. I admire your confidence. Yeah. Are you I've never, Yeah, I've never been afraid to speak on stage. I get what I call dread when I know something might be off, but it comes with experience. So there have been many times in my life where it's like at this point, I have specials on Netflix. I have been touring a long time. I still know that some of my audience doesn't know who I am if I'm playing a club. Right. And I don't care. I'm getting paid. It's not at this point in my journey, like the love of my life or comedy so precious. It's a job. And it's like, I'm on stage. I'm getting paid. You can like me or not. You can seem disinterested. And I'll just say up front, if some people don't really heckle or anything like that, but I'm not afraid because I know, I know people so well now that they respect me at least for standing up there. Were you ever afraid? Like in the beginning, like when you first started touring, wow, I admire, I always have been afraid. But I'm that's, afraid that's not a, a, a quality, you know, it's, it's like a craziness, you know, it's just like a craziness I have. Now I'm telling you, like, it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm backstage. I'm afraid. How can I go out there? Because I had such bad panic disorder and anxiety disorders my whole life yeah. that all of life was scary to me and getting on the airplane and getting in a car, like, the only time that I didn't question myself was on stage. So it was like a safe space. But obviously there's been times on stage, I'm insecure, I'm angry. I'm all kinds of feelings that are uncomfortable, but you just like power down and just get through it. And then at a certain point, you get a little bit of a swinging dick where it's like, hey, you cannot like me, but you're wrong. Like, I'm good at this. You know, I'm not for everyone. So fuck off. What is your writing process? Like if you have a new topic, say mm-hmm. you have a new, like, do you actually sit down and write it out and sit down and write it? No. Do you just sort of, as you're doing your shows, you sort of play with ideas on stage or? Yeah. So it's weird because the road used to be kind of this scary place where I thought I had to have everything a hundred percent down, but I stick new material in on the road in between. So I'll get an idea. Maybe I'll talk to my mom and she'll say something funny. And I don't want to just repeat what she says because that's not really writing, but it might start there where, you know, maybe my mom's going on about something and I'll, I'll write it down in the notes section on my phone and I'll think about it. I'll just sit. I just sit and do a lot of thinking, you know, when I'm in the shower, when I'm driving or when I'm hiking and I'll think, well, what's the bigger story I'm trying to tell here with my mom's story about how she you know, has only had sex with my father, you know, what am I trying to say? And I'll go, is there anything from the back of my mind that I always thought could be a bit that maybe fits here now, finally, you know, and I see the scraps of paper in my mind. I try to put it together and just ask, why am I saying this? And that helps me write, like just always putting my point of view on it. And then when I'm on stage, it is going to be improvised for the first time and I'll record it. And then I seem to go into a zone on stage where it's very magical. And I say things I get off stage and don't know what I said. And then I listen to the thing. So I write on stage and then I write it all down later so that just in case that my mind goes blank and that I have to start over. But that's how I write kind of like five minute bits on the road. Me too. That makes yeah. me feel so much better. Like I have to say in my brain, in my brain, it's like you and Paul F. Tompkins meeting for coffee. <laughs> Like, to, like people I admire, like just sitting, writing out tight jokes, like at a coffee shop, 
I'm not a comedy nerd, so I don't think about it too much. Like, I don't care. It doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not fascinated by what I'm writing or I don't hang out with other comedians and write. Like, I'm pretty far on the fringe of caring. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. I have a question for Julianne. Yeah. yeah. Say you get nervous and shy and you have to go onto a set. Say you're a guest director and it's yeah. a show you've never done. And if you get nervous, like that is commanding a ship that's already in motion. And, you know, you're director number 13 and maybe you've got a crazy actor or a rude like crew member or whatever. Like, how do you, as a, as a, as a, you know, somebody who gets nervous, how do you go command the set? You know, it's really interesting because I was listening to what Jen was saying about when she was, when she goes on stage and then maybe there's, there's a moment and then you, then you kind of grow into it and you get swinging dick. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I feel the same way on set. I feel like it starts off, you've got to bond with it. This is episodic. So episodic TV, you've got to bond with people very quickly and Our listeners at home, basically long running TV shows. A few of them have one director, but that's very rare. Most of them, they'll people say there's 12 episodes in a season. You might have 12 different directors. And so you're basically coming in to sometimes a very famous high school and you're going to come be the new principal for a week. And so, OK, back to you, Julianne. So I find because I've been doing it so long, I, I guess a bit like Jen, unless something throws you off, like somebody's rude to you or somebody's obnoxious, as actually happened to me relatively recently, then you get thrown and you start looking at yourself and you start thinking, oh, shit, I'm an imposter. I can't, I'm, I shouldn't be here, even though I've been here for like 15 years. I shouldn't, I don't deserve to be here. And you can spiral if you're not careful. And then you just have to break your way out of it. And meditation helps. So that's episodic. And then pilot directing, which is different, which is much more creative. I feel slightly on edge more during that process because that's creating it from the ground up. I never feel like I'm there, like I'm fully confident and that I'm actually there that's it's quite rare that I feel that actually still but I hope I don't communicate that to the other people on set so that's my question back to you when do you feel like you're there you're where you want to be you're unflappable I mean Jen you feel like that all the time when you're on stage you feel like that's where you belong yeah it's it's really interesting I'm always searching for that moment where I'm unflappable, fully in control in my head, because I hope that that's what is communicated to other people. Well, you know, I couldn't imagine directing. It would scare me running a show. All of that is terrifying to me. So it's interesting, you know, even walking into a new room for the first time as a writer, I always feel I don't belong. I'm not good at this. It's the worst. So it's, it's really interesting that on stage, it's like, there's no right or wrong. I made this up. So I can't be right or wrong or good or bad at what I do because I made it up. So, you know, I didn't make up stand up, but you know, it's different than going into a room and pitching an idea and someone going, that's not plot, that's story and or that's not story, <laughs> oh, that's God. plot. And I'm like, I don't know the difference and I never will. I don't either. Is there, <laughs> has somebody said that to you? That's not story, that's plot? Every room I'm in. I'm like, okay, well use it for something. I don't know what you're saying. Did I'm you move to up. New York? Did you, for Mrs. Maisel, did, was the writer's room in New York? Yeah, I didn't move there, but I went and stayed in Airbnbs for 10 months. And it wasn't that, thank God I that didn't happen there, but I seemed to 
really gel there, but like in other rooms, like a one hour show recently, and it ended up going quite well. But the first five weeks was, I was convinced I was getting fired every second. And it was like, you know, I just get nervous speaking up and it's only 10 people. And yet I can stand in front of, you know, a couple hundred strangers, no problem. When you started in New York, because I started doing improv and then I sort of switched teams and I started doing stand-up. I love the New York comedy scene. I love the small rooms in Brooklyn. I love the freedom. Like to me, sometimes in LA, there feels like there's a pressure that everybody in the audience might have a headshot. I feel like there's more on the line in LA. What year were you in New York? What was the world like when you were starting there? I had a kind of different experience. I started in Boston and I was there for a year and a half. Then I went to New York in 98 to 2002. Yeah. So my really good friend, Eugene Merman is who I started with. He's so good. But he didn't start, he didn't move to New York till like after I was gone. And so the only small rooms in New York was one called Luna Lounge, which was like the big alternative yeah. show Yeah. that I remember reading about all the way in Boston. And down on Ludlow, down yeah, on Ludlow. And, and it was like Janine Garofalo and Mark Marin and, and my girlfriends and I started a room, well, it was on 3rd and B called B3. And it was just a restaurant called B3. And we did something in the basement and people would come and every comic would work out new stuff. And, you know, looking, there was still so much sexism that like, I didn't have sexist guy friends. So I didn't have any of that nonsense, but the people from Comedy Central booked the Luna Lounge. They don't work there anymore, but they would say these declarative things. And and I still was this very timid person in her twenties. And I thought grownups knew everything. And I thought everyone knew everything and I knew nothing. So anything you said to me, I believed and I marched in order and it made me feel really bad about myself a lot. So they said, you know, it's not that good to run your own room. It makes you look kind of like you're outside of comedy and can't get booked in clubs. Oh my God. And I was like, well, I can't get booked in clubs. So that's why I'm doing it. And then my boyfriend and I at the time ran a room on 23rd and something. And, but all the hot comedians were doing it, you know, all the people we run with now. And, and I was like, wow, this is bad. And of course, when men do it, it's considered the greatest thing. And no one even remembers that us girls started doing it first in the 90s. I came up in the 90s to Chicago and then to New York. And like, it's funny because you're right. My buds were fun rascals, you know, it was, yeah. it was Zach and Bobby Tisdale and like, oh, my God. And AD Miles. Fun. Yeah. Lisa yeah. Delarios. Yeah. So they were great. They weren't the problem. It was sort of like the rest of the world. I remember Lisa a really big comedy manager who kept telling her, you know, she's this cute comedian, vintage clothes, just cute as a button. And it was in the era of like Janine, I mean, she could have booked anything. And they kept trying to make her wear like mini skirts or like more revealing tops on stage. Like, did you ever feel like, did you feel coming up that you had to adjust your outfits on stage? Did you plan an outfit based on being, I felt that I needed to be, cute enough that the guys would pay attention, but not so cute that the ladies would be threatened. I was not that cute. Like when I first started, I had like almost a shaved head and I kind of dressed like a guy, like I was kind of androgynous. And I don't know why. I think I thought I just better be boyish because comedy has no gender or something. I I think like it wasn't as cool as I was non-binary. It was more like, I just need to hide everything so that people will pay attention. It also is a little bit from the school of, I came from like a dance background and the teacher was like, you wear the black leotard in class and no makeup, no jewelry, because you're here to express the dance and not your outfits or your nail polish. Mm -hmm. And so 
I kind of took that attitude into stand up, like no. And yet now you're one of the most you I would say you and Natasha Legero are best dressed. Like you are a very glamorous stand up on stage. And now yeah, now I like to just be funky and express myself how I would if I were walking down the street. There's no difference. But I think at first I was kind of boyish. And I remember this guy, Lou, who was a scout for the Aspen Comedy Festival saying, you're in sweatpants. And he wasn't wrong. I think he might have even said this if I were a man. You know, he's like, you just look like you're rolled out of bed. And I'm like, what is, you know, it is the 90s. But I never thought about it. But I thought about it recently. I'll tell you an example. I did this show. There's these shows at the Montreal. And I'm saying this to the audience. I know you know. But there are these shows, there's a big festival in Montreal called the Montreal Comedy Festival. It's a really big deal. In Canada, there's these televised galas. And it's, I mean, I hate to say it's it's not that big of a deal for an American because we're used to being on TV a lot. And so when you do these galas, it'll be like one famous person hosting it, like Joan Rivers or Howie Mandel. And then every comic does five minutes, but it's on TV and you've got to like, it's very stiff and whatever. So I bring my outfits to the gala. And I did the Alan Cummings gala and, you know, he's like gay and his audience is crazy and wild fun. And I had these like leather short shorts and like a leather top. Cause I thought that would be kind of cabaret looking. And I did my set and it went great. Had a good time. Then I was on, on the next gala a few hours later, the Howie Mandel gala, totally different audience, family friendly. So I brought a different pair of pants and the pants were making the camera more and they wouldn't let me wear them. And I, there was no time to go back to the hotel. There was just, they were just like, wear those shorts that you wore in the other gala. It's fine. And I was like, I can't for this audience. They won't laugh at a woman doing, I don't want kids jokes in short shorts. Right. It's different. Gay guys can handle it. Married people, moms cannot. And I bombed. Right. And I, I mean, I'm a successful comic at this point. This material is on Netflix. I know it's funny. And I just ate shit. It was beyond bombing. It was dead silence. And I just broke and said, I know it's my outfit. I'm not an asshole. Like (laughs) on TV. Yeah. And yeah, but I knew they weren't going to air it anyway, because it was going so badly. But I do think that even if it's not overtly sexism, there is something to outfits that matter. I mean, even I know Jerry Seinfeld's talked about it. Like he gets to say crazy things he feels because he's wearing a suit. Yeah. But so I do think outfits do matter. It's making me think about when I first started directing in the theater and there was this guy and he was like a professional theater director. It was such a big deal. And I was really excited. And I said, do you have any advice for me? And I'm kind of short. I'm a little bit small. And he said, yeah, you need to wear clothes that make you look bigger. Yeah. That was his advice. Uh, oh, wow. And, I and you're like looking for that. creative advice. And he's exactly. Like, I was like, how can I, you know, I really want to make it as a director on this journey. There's not very many women at this point. There's like one. And that was his advice. And do you know what? I actually thought at that moment, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes, honey, <laughs> yeah. yes. I don't know why. I was just like, no, I'm going to just wear my clothes. I've got to be as close I've got to be as close to who I am when I'm directing as I can be. And I still I a, try to do that. I have a question for both of you. Just hearing yeah. Jen talk about that experience when it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. To me, I feel like in any, no matter what business you're in, what like in comedy, it's called a bomb. But like everybody's had a day at work, at school, in life where it's just, you just eat shit. Mm-hmm. Except Where's the that- worst thing is in our careers, I guess, is so public. Yeah. Yeah. 
what was your biggest bomb and how do you, how did you shake it off? My biggest one recently that, that I really feel was almost like this shouldn't be happening anymore. I had a longer bomb, but same thing at a casino in Atlantic city where I had to do 30 minutes and not five. And it was 30 minutes of dead silence. Brutal. I and, had that. It's brutal. Yeah. And it was just like, I might as well be doing a Ted talk, but I think my biggest like bomb, because <laughs> it was also a giant fuck up was back to this guy, Lou, who was auditioning me for the Aspen comedy festival. I was only about a year into stand up, and I took a flight from Boston to New York and had such a fear of flying. I had to take Klonopin. Oh. I never got the amount right. I would take yeah. too much as though I'm going on a six hour flight. Yeah. Yeah. But then I would get off the flight and I would be fine. Cause like the adrenaline would be running. I wasn't tired or sleepy. And I went right to the club to do, I had to do a five minute audition at catch a rising star in New York city. Oh God. And all of the big producers of this comedy festival were there. And again, for anyone listening, it was important to get into the comedy festival. Cause once you were there, you could get like a television deal and all these big wigs from LA would come. And so I'm doing my five minutes. And of course, now I have a drink and then the drink mixes with the clonopin and I start babbling and I start riffing because that was my thing. I would kind of improvise on stage back then. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not going with the plan five minutes that Lou approved. I'm going <laughs> to riff. And I riffed like drunk and high, which is so not my thing. Yeah. For 15 minutes, I was running the light. The light was blinking. Oh it's so rude to other comics, but I didn't know it was happening. And then he came up and screamed at me. Oh what were you doing? I believed in you. Oh my Don't God. ever talk to me again. You're done in this business. <gasps> you know, that was my biggest bomb. <laughs> and how did you, sh how I really feel like in anything, whether it's, whether you want to be a tennis player or a musician, or you want to like, what, whatever your thing is, like, I think if you can handle a bomb, you've got a good chance of making it. Like what advice would you give to somebody in the moment when it's like the 30 minute one and you got 25 minutes to go? And then yeah. after the fact, how do you take care of yourself? I would just, you know, don't hate yourself. Don't think that this one thing stands out more than the 20 times it's gone well. But really, if you want to be a good business person and, and something is not selling, then ask yourself, is this just a one-off? If it is, I have to let it go. Or is there something in this material, you know, there's something to learn from this moment? Was I bombing because I wasn't really being who I was? Was I bombing because I was scared and kind of hiding? Was I bombing because of, I'm weirdly an outfit I had on that maybe I just wasn't authentic and they didn't want to hear it? Or is it truly just not a match, like a date or something? Or, you know, just like take stock like you would after a business, like it, you're a business. So have a business meeting after. And don't be so emotional about it. And don't believe all your darkest thoughts about how terrible you are. And I'm sure there are some people that bomb because they're terrible. And eventually they'll have to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And if you have other friends that are comedians or even people that aren't your age, but are older and they think you're funny, like that's usually a good sign. So, you know, but don't get like, oh, the audience doesn't understand me. I'm better no. than you know, not like that. No, you can't blame the audience. I mean, sometimes, but generally yeah. you, you got to be able to wake them up. I'd never been fired before. And I did a pilot and it got picked up. I got the phone call. I got the like, we're going to New York. And then they cut the character like 10 minutes later. And then it was on deadline. And quite honestly, when I saw the pilot, like during the filming of it, my character went from 
being like a dog walker to being like super high working at like Trader Joe's to that. I was like the best friend of the lead. You know what I mean? I was like the fun best friend. And then I would like ran a lady bakery. You know what I mean? It was like all this sort of like rom-com best friend things. And, and as I watched the pilot, I knew watching it, I was like, oh my God, I'm not necessary. Like I'm just jammed in. Yeah. There's no reason for me. I wouldn't pay for this salary. Like structurally, this doesn't need to be here. But it was the public fact. It was the deadline. I, I could have shook it off. I wouldn't have liked it. But what was fascinating was how many people reached out to me and were like, oh my God, like you're a success now. Like I got fired from this and I was replaced by this and it went on to be this TV show. And like, welcome to like, you're officially... And I remember I went out, I didn't know what to do. I went out to Palm Springs and I checked into a hotel for two days. I played Candy Crush on my phone till I got, I paid like $80 in boosters and I've never played video games in my life. I ate tacos. I floated in a pool. I did like three days of Candy Crush and then <laughs> I was okay. You know, it was just like the public factor of it. Like, but you yeah. got to feel it to heal it so that you don't get this, you know, go mourn it out, go stomp it out in the desert so it doesn't leave like road mark. And by the way, the guy that directed that ended up casting me on Insatiable. And then like, I've spent Thanksgiving with him every year for the past five years. So like, you never know. Like, well, I think that's a good thing too. If like, you know, there's a lot of self-destructive types in our business. And so you yeah. got to be really careful if you bomb or get recast or whatever, just don't abuse yourself or talk shit about anyone involved because yep. it really might be that they love you. They might feel, oh my God, I, I'm going to give her something someday because she's yep. so great, but this mm -hmm. isn't it. The star of it's doing like a book tour thing with me. Like truly all these wonderful gems came from it. And as a person who does write, I wasn't needed in this, as they call it, it's not a great phrasing, but they tell you have to kill your babies. Like sometimes you might, I know everybody liked me, but it was like, it doesn't serve the story. There was no need to have this character, but my ego didn't like it. Yes, but I'm exactly. Don't trash people. You never know. Two of those people are my great friends now. And it's amazing. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I have a question. I'm always fascinated. Have you ever gone on an adventure at a road gig, Jen? Have you ever hung out with anybody? Have you ever toured the town? Have you ever like hung with your opener? I went to Alaska. They were so excited that I was there. Everybody wanted to like do things with me. And normally I say, no, no, no. But I yeah. love I love Christmas and I couldn't believe I was near the North Pole. I'm so jealous. Hi, Jen. (laughs) Right. So I love Christmas. And so I was like, I said on a radio show, I can't believe I'm near the North Pole. And so apparently Santa's house is open 365 days a year. You can go see Santa's. I was like, I gotta see Santa, but I didn't have a car. And these women called in and they were like, we'll come get you strangers. And they called the radio. And so I took a picture of the license plate and like texted it to my friend. Like if I go missing in the woods, I'm with these women. Because it was like an hour (laughs) drive. And I went with these two, they captured me. They took me out to Santa's house. Santa was off duty that day. The way he's apparently Santa Claus, whose name, the man who's Santa Claus, his name is Santa Claus. And he's on the city council of the North Pole. And everybody that I told I was going to the North Pole, I was all excited. They kept saying, I hope you like meth. And I'm like, what do you mean? This Santa in trouble. (laughs) Turns out North Pole has a lot. Apparently there's a little bit of meth around. I don't know. Have you ever allowed a town to, have you ever just given in and gone and done something with someone in in a town? I I would have done something like that. I mean, that's where the road can be so magical with things like that. Yes. But no, I haven't because I also didn't start touring until I was like in my late thirties. So by that point I was like, I'm not here. Like, I don't care, you know? Yeah. But when I tour outside of the country, like I've done you know, when I go to Melbourne, Australia, I used to go every year for like anywhere from two to six weeks Yeah, to do this festival there. And one year I stayed extra and did a touring. You tour with other comedians That's and you so guys fun. play like big theaters in these small areas and no one knows who anyone is. They don't, it's the only entertainment that comes, you know? And so that when I'm in Australia, I'm a different person, like on the road, I'm not going to restaurants and like no. hanging out with people. But in Australia, I have like a wine bar that knows me and I walk in. They're like, Jen, it's like, cheers. Who did you tour with? Who was on your, who was on your tour with you? One kid that ended up being a really good friend of mine named Nate Valvo. I say kid, I don't know why he's a yeah. grown man. Yeah. I can't remember the other names of the people, but it was just because it was all local comics. But I know I never go anywhere. And some comedians, some comedians, literally they go hit the bar in the hotel. They go do all the shit. And I'm like, I go right to my room. Maybe I go to the gym. I get like Chipotle. I, I need to power down until the show. And it's like, God bless America. But, you know, I'm, I've lived in New York and LA and Boston and like, I'm sure every city's great, but I'm not like a big foodie and I don't care. And I don't want to go spend a day 
you know, it's like you come in, you, especially if it's a one, sometimes I do do one night shows. Yeah. Or one night gigs instead of like, if you're at a club, it's you're there all weekend. Yeah. So if I fly in at two and the show's at seven, that's the whole yeah. day is gone. I'm just doing hair and makeup. I love getting room service. That's usually yeah. what I'll do. Um, I love room service. And for me, it's about being in the hotel. And so like, I'm a prissy lady. So I book my own hotel and I don't yeah. stay where they put me, you know? And me so, <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's all about being in a nice hotel and that's it. And then I get excited about the show. And I think sometimes after the show, you have that like energy high, but it's usually pretty late. I used to have really bad vocal issues. So I had to be really careful and not speak. So I was always on vocal rest. So I really didn't do anything, but my worst nightmare is having to talk to strangers. I, maybe after a show, the most I've done is like, if it's a nice hotel, like, and it's not crowded, like go sit at the hotel bar with my phone and like answer tweets from the audience. Like, thanks for coming and kind of promote the next night's show. Okay. And, and just wind down. But that's like what I love doing. I get very like my, my routine on the I road. I feel that we are wired similarly. <laughs> yeah. But now if I'm out of the country or somewhere like the North Pole, then I'm, of course, I'm going to have an experience. And so like when I went to Australia, I went on this like cable car up in the sky, like the day of the show, but those are, that's different. It's not your own show, you know, doing a 10 minute set and, you know, went on like a crocodile tour. What, like, the, what are the audiences like? Like, can you characterize what the audience is like in London versus like Australia versus like New York? I used to, but then I realized it's all... Like I used to think London audiences were really uptight and they listened too well and needed to laugh more. They treated everything like it was the theater. But I think that was like this particular venue that I was in that, Soho. that the Soho Theater, which is great, but they were just starting to have more stand-up comedy. Subscribers mm-hmm. were coming. They weren't sure what it was. They they were listening. They just were, you know, and then I got better at what I did, and then I got specific fans. So then I would be like, oh, I was wrong about London. They love it and they're really fun. And I'm like, but that's a, all the variables are always changing. But I say mostly most crowds, in my opinion, are pretty similar. I do think London and Australia tend to be a little tighter. They're like harder to break open for me. I found places like Sweden, amazing. And most recently, Amsterdam. I felt like I was just in. Oh, I love Amsterdam. York. I yeah. know. Oh, I'd never been. I really want to live there. I cried when I left. So I've been to Berlin. Berlin is a blast. You know, I turned it down. I could have gone oh, on the, when I was in Amsterdam. Summer. You want to go in the summer? It is. There's just like kids with no parents that are young, just like like running down the street. Like it's people. There's like ping pong tables out in the park, but nobody's on their phones that's great there was like karaoke in the park that's not like an official thing it's just like this outdoor area and some guy just like bicycles in a like a speaker and a microphone and it was just like wow this is a cool city I would ask Julianne when you shoot on location do you ever you probably don't have time as the director I just get really tired I know it's so boring I feel like (laughs) 14 hours on a set I, I want to order room service and lie in bed and watch tv where people take bad houses and then they do them up and they make them into nice houses that's yeah that's yes. the most I can do when I'm off on location HGTV is my is favorite bomb my favorite move is when room service comes in they're like where'd you like it? I'm like well on the desk of course because that's where I sit and eat and then the minute they leave I bring it onto the bed yeah I get bed. in <laughs> I do too. Such a treat. Me oh too. My. It's the best. Jen Kirkman, what a joy. I have to just say, 
I am so happy to have gotten to chat with you. I hope anyone got anything fun out of that. I want to say just a little something. Thank you so much for the meditation classes online, which I just discovered. Have you been doing it, Jen? Oh, yeah. oh it's Jen. You guys, Jen has been teaching meditation and like ways to cope with anxiety. And like, she also has these fun videos of her dancing in her apartment. But like, <laughs> as a person who has struggled with anxiety, and, and I have my own coping mechanisms, yeah. just your openness about it. And I need to come take one of them. Have you been enjoying that? I've loved it more than anything. Uh-huh. And it's been really nice to, I teach relaxation classes. There's not really meditation. There's like non-meditation meditation, but Uh, more physical relaxation and breathing mm -hmm, stuff. And mm -hmm. I love it. I can't believe I watch all these people actually doing what I'm saying. And and I don't mean that in a controlling way. I just, Mm -hmm. they're trying to get some relief and I get moved. I almost start to cry every class. It's really nice. But yeah, so. Here's my final stand-up question. And this was just as a selfish, a selfish question. As a gal who is word, like is a more storytelling. I have always struggled with the, the sheer fact that you could do a tight five in Alan Cummings and short leather shorts and have it go well. How, when you have to get it together, how do you winnow it? How do you, what is your process of like, when you have to do a short, tight set, how do you approach that? I suck the life out of what should be a 25 minute set. And I just take the setups and punchlines of things that I don't have many opportunities for that. So if I had to do it again that same night, I wouldn't have any, you know, so most of my tighter, shorter jokes are about not having kids or whatever, which I don't yeah. even care about anymore, but it's their short jokes and let's just do it. Yeah. So I just do that in a row and I try to act like there's some kind of narrative where I'm like, but there usually isn't. Usually you're just saying a setup and saying a punchline and acting completely out of your depth and then you just keep going the paycheck's great for five minutes that's that's what's running through my head is the paycheck the paycheck five minutes is this what you wanted to be when you were little no I didn't know that was a job you know I just wanted to be in the entertainment like acting showgirl dancer actress you know I wanted to be a showgirl too I wanted to be like a Ziegfeld Folly like like I wanted to be like with a big feather headset and all that stuff Well, you and I are from, I think, the last generation that actually watched things that weren't our generation and didn't know none of that stuff exists anymore. Like, I wanted to be a tap dancer as though that was like, you know, as though people in movies were tap dancing anymore. Yeah, it was all like the it was all like like Bugsby Berkeley musicals, just uh, Busby Berkeley. Like we had three stations and they would play like 42nd Street or they play like yeah. the Thin Man. I was like, I want to be, I want to be Nora. You know, it's like, our, that was from a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, or I wanted cigarette to be girl. anymore. Oh, that would be so fun. I would love it. I wanted to be a cigarette girl at the Rainbow Room so badly. That was such oh, a joy. It's probably I, like the big sexual harassment job of all time, but it sounds, it looks yeah. so cute. Oh, that little outfits. Are you kidding me? We should do a photo shoot <laughs> with Robin Von Swank dressed up as cigarette girls. That'd be great. That'd be great. All right. Who was your favorite comic? That Who was your first comic that really blew your mind? Or you're like, wow, I want to try that. Like who razzled you? It's going to make no sense because I'm nothing like him, but I do remember seeing Sam Kinison and George Carlin on TV. And I remember George Carlin had a bit about closed mouth screaming and it was something he would do in school when the nuns walked by and they wouldn't know where the screaming was coming from. 
Yeah. And I remember it, it didn't make me want to be a comic, but I remember going, oh, weird. That's like a something a kid would say, but he's a grown up. Like it just went, huh, that's yeah. cool. He gets yeah. me. You know, I just thought that was cool. And then in real life, honestly, any stand up that I saw live, it seemed like magic. I'd probably be embarrassed to the people that I thought were funny. <laughs> just like yeah. anyone on stage. I was like, wow, Gallagher, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen loves Gallagher. Jen, you're so it's just such a joy to watch you. It's such a joy to see you're like, you really feel like just in the pocket, like you're so in your own skin, you know, and both as a human and on stage and in your writing. You guys, this was a joy. Thanks for having me. I'm Arden Marine. And this is my partner, Julianne Robinson. Stay safe. You guys have fun. Bye. Bye. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.